morning, everybody. You guys got really quiet. Okay, I'm going to read um, just a small part of Psalm 62 to start us off with worship this morning. It says, I wait quietly before God, for my victory comes from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress where I will never be shaken. Let all that I am wait quietly before God, for my hope is in him. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress where I will not be shaken. My victory and honor come from God alone. He is my refuge, a rock where no enemy can reach me. O my people, trust in him at all times. Pour out your heart to him, for God is our refuge. So we're going to do that this morning, if you'd stand with us. Morning, y'all. So happy to have you guys here. Now brace yourself, because every time I do announcements, somehow I find a way to mess up, but they keep giving me the microphone. So it's all right. We'll be with this together. I'm very excited that you guys are here today. If you are brand spanking new, we've got a hay table in the back. And if you fill out this beautiful hay card, you're going to be part of our weekly emails. They're called the Reconnects. So it's going to let you know everything about everything going on here at Regen. Um, And some of those things that are going on here at Regen are we have a July feast, and that's where everyone of Regen is invited, and we come together as a family once a month in the summer. And that is the 21st, the 21st, y'all. We will be together at the Bockers home in Southington. And you come ready to eat, swim, and hang out together because it's a blast. Um, You can check in on social media this week using the hashtag RegenGives. And that's a quarter check-in. We change the ministry every quarter. And this semester's check-in goes to Masterpiece Ministries. And Masterpiece Ministries is dedicated to helping students see these creative disciplines and gifts in light of God's heart for beauty and putting his glorious creativity on display. And summer circles. If you're not part of a summer circle, we've got a few going on this um, summer. One of them being at my own home for summer for women's circle. There's also um, the men's circle and which one? Zach's. Right there, in the back, that man waving. Woo-hoo. And if you could join me, we're going to pray for offering. And my buddy's going to hand out the buckets after that. Dear God, I'm so thankful for this church family and that we can come together this week and just glorify you with just incredible worship and Aaron preaching today. Um, I pray, I thank you for all that you've given us, and I thank you for a way that we can give that back to you. Um, I just bless whatever is put into these buckets this week and each week that it can go to be, um, do your service and your works in this community. Amen. God, that last part is um, kind of our prayer today. Um, I just ask that um, this morning you would highlight to us the things that we have put on your throne, um, the things that will not satisfy, the things that will leave us empty. God, we want the kingdom. We want to partner with you in bringing that. God, I just ask that today you would speak to your people. We'll see how long it takes me to regret using this handheld mic. I needed a prop, you know? Like, what do you do with your hands? 
One more announcement. Um, our superintendent, that's correct, Abby Amon, is here. Um, she's going to be leading communion today. So if you are one of the people who I asked to help lead communion when she comes up after our response time, just uh, come on up. Also, kids can go back, right? They already did. Good. That's what I was hoping for. So, if we haven't met, my name is Aaron. Um, I've been a part of this church for a couple of years. Uh, before we start, um, I actually have just taken a new job, um, and I will be moving sometime in August, so uh, this is my probably last time preaching here, um, but I just wanted to say thank you um, for just being super great and doing life with me. And Yeah, anyways, <clears throat> so um, when Kyle asked me to preach, he did not give me a topic, um, and so I just kind of was looking at, like, what, what am I processing through right now? Um, and some things you should probably know about me. I am an Enneagram 4, which if you don't know what that means, I don't mind being sad. Um, I don't mind dark feelings. And so even though everything in my life right now is, like, super great, um, I live with some awesome people. I have a family that loves me. I get to hang out with Jack all the time. Um, I can't handle too much happiness at once. So um, what I've been processing through is just all of the disappointments for the last few years. So that's what we're going to talk about today. It's really good. I'm actually reading a book right now. It's called It's Not Supposed to Be This Way. It's by uh, Lisa with a last name I can't pronounce. Um, they said it. Um, so anyways, I'm, I'm thinking about disappointment as I'm reading this book, and I'm thinking about how in the kingdom of heaven, when we get there, there won't be any more disappointment. And I'm thinking about how in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve didn't know what disappointment felt like. And so it seems to me like the only time that we get to experience disappointment is when we're here, and it's got me wondering, Why? Like, what is the point? Is there something that we can learn from this? If you don't know much about my story, um, my life's pretty great, but I have had my fair share of disappointments over the last few years. Um, at age 24, I found myself living in my parents' loft, um, working at a coffee shop, and trying to save up enough money to go back to ministry school in California. Um, and at the end of three months, I found out that making lattes doesn't, like, pay that well. Um, so that didn't happen, and I was just really disappointed. I had all of this hope for kind of what my future would look like, and while I'm super thankful for my parents, hi, Mom, I, I can tell you with absolute certainty that that was not what I thought my life would look like. It wasn't supposed to be this way. So, that is disappointment. When we place our hope in something and things don't turn out the way that they think they should. It's in these times that we have our why God moments. What's the point? Is there something that I can learn from this? So that's what I have been digging into. 
One of my favorite pastors is a man named Greg Boyd. He pastors a church called Woodland Hills out in uh, Minneapolis, I believe, somewhere around there. And uh, in my earlier Christian days, he was really influential to me. Um, He's got a really great podcast. He writes all kinds of books. And one of the concepts that comes up a lot in his teachings is the idea that all of us were created with, at our core, a God-shaped hole. It wasn't an accident. It's not like God got the, the end of putting his Ikea furniture together and decided that those were just extra parts. It's there on purpose. The hole is there, and it is God-shaped to draw us to him because he is the only one that can satisfy that. This emptiness and longing can only be satisfied by placing God rightfully at the center of our desire. And when this happens, we are whole and we are complete. We feel fully alive. This is the picture we get in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve walking every day with God. Wholeness, completeness. To the degree to which this is not met, we feel empty and numb. We don't feel alive. Now, I believe that this deep longing for God is actually at the center of every human, not just those of us who call ourselves Christians. I believe this, and I think it's true. Here's the thing. I work in marketing, kind of. And at the center of every advertisement you've ever seen is this message. There is something missing from your life, and if you buy our whatever, you will be complete. Here's the thing. We don't have to spend any time convincing people about the first part. We all know that something is missing. This hole is God-shaped, and while geometrically, I'm not sure what shape that is, what that means is that he is the only one that will fit there. The hole is there to draw us to God. However, in the absence of God, in the absence of a relationship with our creator, we find ourselves trying to put all kinds of things in this space. We will try and get our life and our value and our purpose from whatever we have put there. We do this all the time. We turn our affections and our worship towards things that do not fit do not satisfy. And some of these are good things. Things like your job, your family, education, money, experiences, travel, knowledge. All of these are things we chase, and all of them are things that if we are not careful, we will try and get our life from. I think a lot of times we find ourselves doing this with our church, In our religion, it's really easy to say we're doing something in the name of Jesus. We wouldn't be the first to pull the Pharisee move. We compete for righteousness. We volunteer for everything we can. We teach the Sunday school classes. We work relentlessly to make sure that our church is everything that I think it should be. We do these things for power and influence and favor, and none of those are bad things on their own. But we let them replace God as the center of our desire. When we find ourselves frustrated when we can't control other people, we're like, oh, why don't you care as much as I do? And then we find ourselves disappointed. 
Jesus gives us this warning specifically about this in Matthew 7. He says, Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? God, didn't I do your stuff? And I will say to them, plainly, I never knew you. When we replace God with anything else, we are trading the value system of the kingdom for the value system of whatever we have that is most desirable. If we have wealth at the center of our worldview, we believe that if we get enough of it, if we shove enough of it into the void, maybe we can get it to stick. Or maybe if I put my family at the center of my value system, and I spend all of my time making us as perfect as possible, and I send Jimmy to math camp, and we get Susie as cheerleader of the captain, whatever team. Maybe if I over-exhaust myself with my over-involvement in every area of my children's life, that could satisfy. My mom didn't do that, if you're wondering. When we place anything other than Jesus at the center of our lives, our desires will eventually... When we place anything other than Jesus at the center of our desires, we will eventually be disappointed. Jesus says this in Matthew 6, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He knows. Psychology has actually given a very similar name to this phenomenon. It's called, ooh, phenomenon. It is called the hedonic adaptation. It's this idea that at some point we all return to a base level of happiness. So if I am at my base level of happiness and I see something that I believe will make me happier, I will achieve it. And then once I have it, that's my new base level. And having this thing doesn't make me happy anymore. But if I lose it, if I don't cling on to it, I'll be super sad. There's a really famous philosopher called Jean-Jacques Rousseau. He was talking about um, quality of life upgrades as, as society was advancing. He says this, Since these conveniences, by becoming habitual, had almost entirely ceased to be enjoyable and at the same time degenerated into true needs, it became much more cruel to be deprived of them than to possess them was sweet and men were unhappy to lose them without being happy to possess them. In other words, when we finally get the things that we lust after, we will find that they no longer make us happy. Although now, if we lost them, we'd be sad. The entire system is rigged against us. For a long time, I was um, really, like, praying and, like, asking God for a new job, and I was on LinkedIn, and I'm looking at, like, all these job postings. When you log into LinkedIn, at least for me, I don't know, the top, like, thing on the page, you always have three or four, like, open job postings, and they base this on your experience, your education, um, what kind of content you interact with on LinkedIn, and so I used to get jobs that were, like, designer, graphic designer, photo retoucher, that kind of thing. I got a new job title, and now the job postings that I get when I log in are like creative director, art director, vice principal of 
whatever. The entire system is rigged against us. LinkedIn does not want you to be happy, nor does the value system of the world. The value system of the kingdom of God tells us that we have been purchased at an incredible price. And it is out of this identity that we find our value. The value system of the world will leave us competitive and jealous and ultimately dissatisfied. We can never be content. We see in the garden where Adam and Eve literally have everything they could ever need. This lie enters in that says, but could you be happier if? Is God withholding something from you? We will never have enough stuff. The world's value system will always be pushing us to get our identity from how much whatever we can accrue. But Jesus warns us, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. This passage tells me that everything that I put my hope in other than Jesus will lead to disappointment. My prayer for us today is that that happens before we die so that we can put our hope in the one thing that won't disappoint. My honest prayer is that we will find ourselves disappointed. It's been a few times um, in my recent history where I've been a little disappointed because I put a lot of hope in something. Uh, I was in a kind of long-term, long-distance relationship, and my hope was that at the end of this, I would move back to Cincinnati, and we would get married and live happily ever after. And then that shattered, um, and I was disappointed. About a year ago, I got a job. Um, It was a full-time job doing lifestyle photo retouching, and it was kind of cool. It was a a big-ish company, Um, And I I had a lot of hope. I was like, yes, I've made it. I am secure as like a real adult with a real job. This is it. And then I got a call from my boss one day, and she said, hey, the company went broke. Oops. I think sometimes God shows favor on us by allowing us to be disappointed. In that book I'm reading... The author says this, We will never appreciate or desire the hope of our true love if lesser loves don't disappoint. Sometimes being disappointed is what must happen to lead us into relationship with him. I get this idea that sometimes we are running like on one of those hamster wheels and we're just trying to go quicker and quicker, but we're not really getting anywhere, but we don't know it, so we keep going faster and then we trip and we get thrown out of it. We're laying there on the ground, and we're like, Ow, God, did you let that happen? And I think in those moments, we find ourselves super disappointed and honestly, probably a little bit hurt. But that, I believe, is the grace and the favor of God to allow those things to disappoint us. Because if we have satisfied our hunger for God with other things, completely empty and pointless things, we will never find true life in him. I want us to um, just think about our own God vacuum, our own God-shaped holes. And there's a few things I would invite you to 
uh, reflect on now and then again during our uh, response time. Number one, when is the last time you felt disappointed? When is the last time you had the thought, this isn't supposed to be this way? Please do not hear me saying that any time you're disappointed, any time you're sad, it's your fault. I'm absolutely not suggesting that. But I do believe that God can use our roadblocks and our speed bumps to talk to us. And it's actually only on this side of heaven that we have the opportunity to learn from those experiences. Number two, take a look at what occupies your time and your thoughts. Worship is what happens when we give our time and our affection to something. This is why we get together on Sunday, and we sing songs that are true, and we imagine God, and we read the Bible. Where are you spending your time? My mornings um, are my like highest performance time of the day. My brain is less cluttered. I'm well-rested. I wake up. There's nothing that I have to immediately do. And this used to be the time when I would read my Bible, listen to worship music, pray. Lately, I have replaced God with my job, and I can tell you the first thing that I do before I'm out of bed, I'm checking my email, I'm scrolling through my Slack feed, I'm looking at my to-do list, I'm saying, God, you can wait. What do I need to do to succeed in the value system that I have put above you today? Then maybe at the end of the day, I don't know, if I have time, if I got everything done, if it's convenient, we'll spend some time. A lot of the things that we try and get life from are not bad things. Your job is a blessing. Your family is a blessing. I have this new job. I had prayed for it for a long time, and God has, like, dropped it into my hand. And the thing to do is not then to clutch to it and cling and try and grab every bit of life I can get out of it. I am thankful for it. It is a blessing. But I am holding it open-handed as like, God, this is your gift that you have given me. It's great. But when we start to worship the gift instead of the one who gives the gift, we have a problem. That's called idolatry. Number three, some of us today need a fresh revelation of who Jesus is. Some of us have fallen out of love with him, and the life that we once got, we're trying to find elsewhere. Jesus gives us this illustration in Matthew. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and in his joy went and sold all that he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for a fine pearl. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. If Jesus is not the center of our desire, it's possible that it's because we've forgotten what he looks like. We may have let ourselves start to believe a lie. My homie Greg Boyd says it this way, the beauty of your life will never outrun the beauty of your mental picture of God. The 
beauty of your life will never outrun the beauty of your mental picture of God. I realize that this has been kind of a bummer, and I want to leave us with a passage from Revelation to just give us some hope. Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. This is the good news. There will be no disappointment when we get to heaven. We will be so busy beholding Jesus that we will not be able to put any hope in lesser things. The goal then for all of us is to get there before we die. I want to pray for us and then we're going to go into um, response time and then communion. So, Jesus, um, thank you um, that between my mouth and your people's ears, you find a way to let them hear what you wanted them to. Jesus, we admit that it has been really easy for us to replace you. It's been super easy for us to find life in things that are not life-giving. God, we thank you for the grace and favor that you show us when you let us get disappointed in those things. Amen. me to lead uh, response time, which just means, you know, basically to announce this is response time. Um, But uh, I just wanted to, like, point out, um, I felt like God was pointing out to me, like, you know, um, conviction is something that, like, has been a weird term in my life, um, where it started out when I was a little kid, thinking, like, oh, a convict, like, that's a bad guy, like, you are convicted. (laughs) Um, But then you hear this word used, like, that's a man of conviction, like, that's a man who is living under a conviction. And I'm like, what does that word even mean? And, uh, and it actually means to have light shed upon something. So sometimes it looks like the guy sneaking out of jail and the spotlight comes on and he's like... <laughs> um, but there's, like, certain ideas in life and there's certain aha moments and there's certain revelations that God pours out that's just like he turns on that floodlight and all of a sudden you're like... <laughs> you know, and so... Um, I just felt like God was inviting us, like, where those aha moments are, where those convictions are. Don't just hear them. Don't just enjoy them. Don't just be touched and enjoy it. But also, don't just be hearers of the word, but doers also. And uh, and so um, maybe I'll just uh, I'll start us in this response and uh, just leave you there. Like, no amen. Um, <laughs> but uh, God, we, we hear what you're doing, and... Uh, And we love you, and we value you, and we want to value you, and we want to love you. God, we we offer um, these small pursuits that we start out, and we say, Lord, you need to finish this, because I know that you 
Um, I can't love you without first being loved by you. I can't pursue you without first being pursued by you. And so, God, um, we just invite you um, to fill this God-shaped hole. Um, we invite you to um, stir us in these things you've convicted our hearts in. And we just want to marinate in that. We want that to become a well-founded conviction. Um, so, God, just keep keep uh, just planting that seed deeper and deeper in our hearts. God, let us be good soil. And the word and the seed that you've sown, God, let it go so deep. And let it find root. And, uh, and let us come to be those things that you planted in us. So now let's just kind of just sit here for a minute. And then, uh, and then in a couple minutes, Abby's going to come up and lead us in communion. One of the ways that we talk about sacraments in the United Methodist Church are that they are physical elements, ordinary elements, that Jesus used um, in a particular way to offer a blessing and um, to offer God's presence to us. And we believe that um, in our sacraments of communion and of baptism, that the real presence of Christ comes and meets us. And one of the ways that uh, we... You know, we recognize what a gift Jesus was in filling that God-shaped hole and helping us to understand it, is that um, when he was about to give himself up for us and he gathered together with his disciples, um, he took the most ordinary thing on the table, um, the bread. That was uh, before the days of low-carb diets when they depended heavily on bread in almost all cultures around the world. And um, it was uh, that, that very ordinary thing. So it was not like the fancy donuts at Nova. You know, those are really good. But, um, you know, your life may be such that you can't afford those or you're not in a place where uh, you have access to those. 
Um, or, you know, the, you, you taste them and then, well, it, it kind of it, it disappoints, as, as Aaron said. And Jesus took the ordinary thing that everybody would have had on their table for almost every meal. And he said, this is my body. And it's broken for you. And the cup was really in that same category um, of ordinary things that they did serve wine at many, many, many meals. Um, And he said, this is my blood, which is poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. And both things, he said, do this as often as you eat and drink in remembrance of me. And so... When we come together in worship, um, we celebrate communion as that special blessing of Christ, but it is also um, an echo of every prayer around your table, every time you eat, that God is offering you the fullness of God's self, the fullness of God's blessing, um, that we literally eat and put God's blessing, we put the presence of Christ in a hole in ourselves. Not because of of our action. We we ask for God's blessing, we give, we eat, but through that is God's blessing where Christ literally becomes part of the cells of our body. Um, That 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 God-shaped hole in us might be filled through God's provision and through God's blessing. And so, God, we ask that you would pour out your spirit upon us gathered here and upon these gifts of bread and cup. Make them be for us the body and the blood of Christ, that we might be for the world the body of Christ, redeemed by his blood. By your spirit, make us one with Christ, one with each other, and one in ministry to all the world until Christ comes in final victory and we feast at his heavenly banquet. All honor and glory is yours, almighty God, now and forever. Amen. And so go go in peace, um, knowing that you're so loved. Everything that you could ever need. Have a good week.